Have you ever looked back on a period of your life or an event from the past and think, man, Lord, you did a really great thing there. You did some really great things in the past. But also think, wow, I made some mistakes. Like, Lord, I think you did those great things despite me uh, instead of because of me. Maybe you look back on uh, years in college and you think, wow, Lord, if I knew now, or if I knew then what I know now, I never would have behaved like that. Maybe you look back at uh, selfishness that you had uh, in high school, or maybe the way you used to interact with work colleagues when you first began your job, or maybe you look back at the ways you used to harshly or judgmentally interact with people, and you think, what was I thinking? That's terrible. Maybe you look back even at the ways in which you treated your parents, disobedience that at the time seemed like you were just being a normal kid and now you look back and think, man, that was, that was terrible. I have a friend who recently, uh, God's been working on his heart and kind of opened his eyes and he's come to grips with uh, just how he was interacting with people and he called me and he said, you know, can you help me with this? I've been thinking about this and I... I've come to the realization that at times I can be an arrogant jerk. He says, I didn't mean to, but I look back now and I see it everywhere. I see it in all sorts of conversations that I had with other people. And to be honest, I had been praying that the Lord might help him to see this. And he said that he had shared it with his wife and his wife said that she had been praying and that the Lord would help him to see this. But I resonated not only with what he was going through, but just the experience of looking back with new eyes today and saying, I didn't mean to, but wow, what was I doing? Have you had that experience? Have you looked back and thought, it was unintentional? I wasn't maliciously trying to hurt people. I wasn't maliciously trying to do foolish things or say painful things to people, but... I didn't know any better. Well, this morning I have some good news for us. Good news about God's grace in the face of these unintentional sins. These sins that we didn't even perhaps know were a part of our life. So please take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20. It's page 185 in the church Bibles, Joshua chapter 20. We're in the second half of the book of Joshua, and the second half is about the allotment of land to the various tribes. Now, last week we looked at how the last seven remaining tribes received their land from God. God used something seemingly random, the casting of lots, to communicate his will and his desire and to make sure that the last seven tribes got the land he wanted them to have as their inheritance. Now as we near the end of the book, there are still a few more items to be taken care of until God can say that Israel is truly settled in the land. The first of those items is something called cities of refuge. Joshua chapter 20, I'm going to read the first six verses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge 
as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. Now here God is instructing Joshua to set aside specific cities as cities of refuge. And the way this worked was if someone committed what we today would call manslaughter, unintentional murder, meaning they killed somebody but it was done without malice of forethought, it wasn't planned. Numbers 35 talks about this in more detail and actually gives some examples. That if in the middle of a construction project, uh, you drop a heavy stone and it ends up killing somebody. If in the middle of trying to chop down trees, an axe head flies off of your, uh, your axe handle and it kills somebody. If somehow, even in the middle of a fight, if through self-defense, if it wasn't premeditated and wasn't planned ahead of time, someone dies as a result of your actions, then the person who is guilty of manslaughter can go to these cities of refuge. And what was supposed to happen is you go to these cities of refuge and there you're to be protected. An avenger of blood, meaning somebody who wants to take revenge or avenge the death of a loved one, if they come after you, they're not allowed into the city of refuge. You're to stay there and to be protected. Now, in its detailed form, this is speaking about, again, what we call manslaughter. And it's possible that there are some here who are dealing with that very specific issue. But I think the real purpose of Joshua 20 is not just to attest, or just not just to address that one thing, but to give us an understanding or an opportunity to think about unintentional sins in general. Here we're dealing with one of the worst possible unintentional sins. That is the killing of another person. But it gives us the opportunity to see how God addresses this one and allows us to understand how God addresses all unintentional sin. Meaning those times in which you may have looked back on your life and said, oh Lord have mercy, what was I thinking back then? Or even the things going on today that may be in your life that you or I don't know about. That if we, uh, years from now, we're going to look back and say about our actions today, why did I interact with my spouse that way? Why did I cause those things to be happening in my workplace? Why did I cause that trouble at church? Why was I doing those things? And the opportunity this morning is to use Joshua 20 to understand God's reaction and attitude towards the unintentional sins in our life. Now, the first thing we need to understand about unintentional sins is that they are still sin. 
For example, in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham is leaving the land of Canaan where uh, the people of Israel are in the book of Joshua. He's leaving there and he's going into the Negev, to the kingdom of Gerar. A man named Abimelech is king in Gerar, and Abraham is leaving sort of his home place, and as he's traveling, he's worried. He's got this very beautiful wife named Sarah, and his fear is he's going to go into some of these other kingdoms where there is, in his opinion, no fear of the Lord. So he and Sarah hatch a plan. It's actually Abraham's idea. He says to Sarah, listen, when we go to the kingdom of Gerar, Tell him you're not my wife. Tell him you're my sister. This way, no one will want to kill me than take you to be their spouse. So they arrive in Gerar and they follow the plan and, and Sarah tells everybody that she's Abraham's sister. Well, Abimelech, who's the king, looks at Sarah and sees that she's a beautiful woman and so finds out she's not married. So he invites her uh, to come to his house, to his palace. Before he sleeps with her, God appears to Abimelech in a dream. And this is what God says to him. You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. To which Abimelech responds, I've done this with a clean conscience and with clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clean conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That's why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Now the interesting thing or the important thing for us today is to realize from that passage, that if Abimelech had slept with Sarah, he would be guilty of the sin of adultery even though he didn't know it, even though he was doing this with a clean conscience. He thinks that this woman is single. He thinks that she's not currently married and he wants to take her into his family. And God shows up and says, don't do this. But the point from the passage is, if he had, even with a clean conscience, he would have been guilty of sin. Unintentional sin, but sin nonetheless. Leviticus 4 gives us the same idea. God says, if any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands... When they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defect. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. Again, atonement still has to be made for unintentional sins. Sins that were done without malice of forethought, without even realizing that this was wrong. God says, after the fact, when you come to realize that what you were doing was wrong, that sin still has to be dealt with. So if you've come to realize 
that a physical relationship you had with a person of the opposite sex during the time in which you were dating is inappropriate, even though at the time you didn't realize it's still sin. If you've come to realize that some of the disobedience you engaged in as a child was displeasing to God, even though at the time you didn't realize it, it's still sin. If you've come now to see or to understand that some of the harshness or the judgmentalism that you've engaged in in dealing with others when you were younger and you didn't know better, even though at the time you thought you were just being a blunt person telling people things the way you saw them, it's still a sin. If you had been robbing from God by refusing to tithe to his church or to be generous to other people, but at the time you didn't know any better, it's still a sin. If you had been trying to live out your life through your children and now they're grown up and you can realize the mistakes that you made when they were young, but you thought, I didn't know any better. I didn't do it maliciously. It's still a sin. Wow. That's a sobering thought. But the great thing about Joshua 20 is it's written not to make us feel horrible for all the things in the past that we didn't even know we were doing wrong. It's written to tell us about God's grace. Look at verse number six. Those guilty of manslaughter are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly. And then here's the key phrase. And until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. See, it's interesting. Most things in the book of Joshua, we're simply told that Joshua did them out of obedience to what the Lord had told Moses. In other words, Joshua's reading through the book of the law and he's doing all the things that are written there. Interestingly, for the cities of refuge, God is the one who takes the initiative to ensure, Joshua, make sure you set these cities up just like I told Moses to do. And the thing is, is that this is where it comes to, it's helpful to realize that in Joshua 20, we are talking about what in the Old Testament is considered one of the worst possible unintentional sins that you could do. Ending someone's life. Because the point is, for lower level unintentional sins in the Old Testament, they could be dealt with the way Leviticus 4 says you were to deal with them. With the sacrifice of a female goat. But manslaughter opens our eyes to realize that the death of a goat can't ever really take care of people's sins. And what we have in the city of refuge is a picture of God's true plan for dealing not only with manslaughter, but all unintentional sin. Meaning that when the high priest who is living at the time that unintentional sin is committed, when the high priest dies, the sin is forgiven. The sin is paid for. Atonement has been made, and the person guilty of manslaughter is free to go. 
This is a picture of what God is planning to do as revealed to us in the New Testament when Jesus came. See, in the book of Hebrews, the book that we studied right before we got to the book of Joshua, we read in Hebrews 9, but when Christ, when Jesus Christ came as what? High High priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And here's the picture that God is pointing us to in Joshua 20. When we who by faith have accepted Jesus, we have accepted him as our high priest. When the high priest dies, unintentional sins are forgiven and removed. What this means is, when you and I think back to those eras in our life that were past, and we think about, oh Lord have mercy, what was I thinking? The good news is, those sins are already paid for. That when Jesus died, even the unintentional sins that we committed, even those are covered. Not just the sins that we know about, even the sins right now in our own life that we're not even aware are there. That's covered by the death of Jesus. This is incredible news because think about this. Sometimes it's easy for us to worry and think, what if I die and I haven't confessed all of my sins? It's okay. They're covered in Jesus. They've been paid for. They've been taken care of. If you think, well, when I look back on things that I did when I was younger, I don't feel the same level of guilt and shame because I'm not in them like I was in the moment. That's okay. They're taken care of. They're covered by Jesus. What if I got stuff in my life right now that I don't even know is there? It's paid for by Jesus. Jesus' death as our high priest covers all the unintentional sins that we've committed. Everything that we've done in the past that we didn't know about at the time, everything that we're committing right now that we don't even know about, all of that is covered by Jesus. God has made provision for everything you and I have ever done, whether willful or unintentional, whether known or unknown, to be paid for by Jesus. So what does this mean? If God brings to mind some hidden sin in your life, if like my friend, God reveals to you that you too have been an arrogant uh, jerk to people around you, what if God takes you back to something that you've been in before and you realize Lord, I've been harsh with people or I was being deceptive or I was doing things that I shouldn't have done or I've not been the generous person that I ought to be. What should you do if God brings those things to mind? 
confess them to the Lord and accept that in Jesus they have already been forgiven. They've already been paid for. Perhaps God will give you an opportunity to go back to those people that you sinned against and confess to them. Perhaps he won't. I've seen it in my own life both ways. There have been times when God's asked me to go back and to apologize for things which at the time I didn't think were wrong. But now God has shown me were. There's been other times where he hasn't opened that door, hasn't encouraged me to do that. But the one thing you and I must never do with those unintentional sins from the past is hold on to them and say, oh, if only I hadn't acted like that. If only I could go back and redo that. If only I could do that differently. It's been paid for by Jesus. It's been forgiven by God. It has been forgotten. And if God is not holding on to them, you don't know how to hold on to them either. And what about the sins that you and I might have in our life right now? Hidden sins, unintentional sins, unknown sins. Things that five years from now or ten years from now we'll look back on this moment and say, how did anybody ever put up with me? What do we do about those things? We pray the prayer that God teaches us to pray in Psalm 19, verse 20, 12. Lord, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Do you understand the power of that statement? You and I can say to God, forgive me for things that I don't even know that I'm doing wrong. And they're covered by Jesus. This is the gracious provision of God. God doesn't just forgive the sins that we feel grieved about, that we're upset about. He forgives all sin, even the stuff in our life right now that we don't even know about. The stuff from our past that was unintentional, the stuff that's going on that's hidden, all of that forgiven by Jesus. Now let me take just a minute, and I want to speak to anyone who's here who's not yet a believer in Jesus. Listen to me. I want you to hear very clearly the offer that God is making to you in Jesus. You see, these cities of refuge have sort of two provisions from God. The first is protection. The second is redemption or forgiveness. If you're here this morning and you've not yet accepted Jesus as your high priest, the sin that's in your life that you don't even know is sin, God is protecting you because the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. What you deserve is for the avenger of sins to come and give you what you deserve, but God is protecting you. If you are still alive, then the Lord is giving you protection. But listen, you're not yet free. You're alive, but not free. What I mean by that is that those sins from your past, even though you don't necessarily acknowledge them as sin, listen, 
Abraham was, or Abraham, Abimelech was guilty of adultery even though he didn't know it. You may look at your life and go, well, I'm a good moral person. I've tried to do good things. Yes, I look back in my past and I see some things that, yes, weren't so perfect or I should have done differently. There are not only those things, there are other things that you don't even know that you've done to displease God. There are things in your life today that you've done that are displeasing to God. Those things are keeping you prisoner. You're not free to live life the way that it was meant to live because you'll always look back in the past and say, well, what if I hadn't done this? And what if I should have done that? All those things. But what God is offering to you today in Jesus is freedom. That if you simply by faith will say, I would like Jesus to be my high priest, then his death becomes sufficient for you. And all your mistakes and all your errors and all your disobedience, whether known or unknown, whether intentional or unintentional, is all forgiven. And the question is, who wouldn't want a gift like that? Who wouldn't want a God who has already made provision for everything you've done wrong, even before you know that you've done it wrong? How gracious and kind is that? This is the God that's inviting you. You're experiencing his protection right now. Because whatever mistakes you've made, they have not resulted in death yet. But what he wants for you is freedom. Freedom to live life the way that life is supposed to be lived. The high priest has already died. All you have to do is accept him as your high priest and you experience this grace.